Welcome aboard, Giants fans, to episode 57 of our New York Giants podcast right here on NJ.com. Talk is cheap. I'm Joe Giglio alongside James Cratch, who covers the Giants for NJ Advanced Media. Pretty soon we'll have a second writer with James. We'll be on each and every podcast. But for this episode, it's myself, it's James. We are a week out from Giants training camp. We're doing this podcast on a Thursday. And a week from right now, as we talk, the Giants will be reporting uh, and training camp will be underway. It's a fun time. We have a lot to talk about here getting set for camp. James, how are you, man? I'm good, Joe. Summer has flown by. Feels like it was just yesterday we were ending minicamp, but here we are. Yeah, I'm actually looking at our uh, iTunes page, and you could obviously yeah. follow the show on iTunes or Stitcher or anyway, SoundCloud, uh, um, any way you want. And yeah, the last time we, we did one, uh, we were recapping minicamp, right? And now we're back to start and preview uh, training camp. So we have five storylines to kind of look forward to, five biggest things heading into training camp. And James, before we get to those, though, uh, mm-hmm. you're right, it, it flew by, and you know we went through all the different stuff with minicamp and with the free agency and the draft and draft. and now we sit here and the giants are what they are in terms of the roster for the most part now it's about putting the pieces together now i think the fun starts yes no definitely i mean it's uh look no matter what happens uh you know when training camp starts preseason regular season the giants hope the postseason after that i think this, this is a pivotal season for the giants as an organization new head coach you know, we've talked about this at several points in the offseason. The clock is starting to tick on Eli Manning's window as a player. You know, he's 35. You figure he's got maybe three, four more years left. His contracts are four years. So this is a huge season for the Giants. They've missed the playoffs the last four years. They just spent a ton of money in free agency. Uh, you know, this is kind of a fork in the road year for them. And I don't think anyone really has a great grasp on which way they're going to go when they take that fork. James, that's a great point. We'll start there. We'll start with McAdoo in his first camp and really kind of setting the new foundation for the Giants, trying to build off of you know what Tom Coughlin built for all these years because Ben obviously was part of this the last couple. But I, I think back, I can remember vividly 2004 and Tom Coughlin's, you know, when he first came in and tried to reset the organization. This feels similar in a way because, you know, the mm-hmm. Giants hope this is a long-term thing. But it also is a little different, right? Because I feel like when Tom came in, it almost felt like he was tasked with, hey, Tom, we, we've kind of lost our way. You have to get us and rebuild yeah. the entire franchise. It feels like with Ben, um, Tom set the, the path they want to continue down in terms of philosophy with a lot of things. And now it's, it's up to him to kind of freshen it up and, and add some new ideas and, and take it, move it forward a little bit. Yeah, no, I think when you hire, when you make a highlight like to Giants with Ben McAdoo, what you're saying is we don't like the direction that this is going. But we're okay with the philosophy that we're built on. Um, and I think we saw a lot of that in the spring and in the offseason program. You know, people keep on asking, you know, how is it different? How is it different? Well, at the end of the day, it's, it was just a football practice. And there's so many rules and regulations with the CBA, with how you can run minicamp and OTAs. So that's why I tell people all the time, it looked like a football practice. When you went out to practice, it looked the same practice you know, that Tom Coughlin would run, you know, McAdoo hasn't rolled out any like, you know, robotic tackling dummies or anything yet, you know, nothing space age or or new wave, but it it feels different. You know, there seemed to be a lot more energy at practice when we were allowed in for mini camps and OTAs. You know, I talked to one veteran defensive player who said it was the, the energy level in practice during OTAs was the highest he's ever experienced in the NFL. You know, there's music playing 
playing. You know, it's quick moving. You know, they, they get in, they get out. So, so far, that's been the biggest change that I've seen. But I think that once training camp starts and we start to play preseason games and we start to have full padded practices and the inevitable you know, injuries and adversity that happens to a team in a given season start to take hold, I think we're really going to see where this transition is going and how the Coughlin era is going to be different from the McAdoo era. James, what are you, what's your biggest question about McAdoo in this new role now? I mean, you've got a chance to cover him as an offensive coordinator. Um, you know, he's not going to be unfamiliar with you or the other uh, writers and reporters on the beat. He, he kind of has that relationship a little bit from last year already. But, yeah. like, you know, he, had a, it's, he was there, but it's almost a totally different world when you become the head coach in terms mm-hmm. of um, preparing, in terms of scheduling, in terms of day-to-day stuff, in terms of, uh, connecting with the team, the media responsibilities. I mean, when you when you think of all the things a head coach has to do, what's the one you say? I, I wonder how Ben's going to handle this, just because he hasn't ha- had the opportunity to do it yet. I, I just, for me, it's a lot of like the basic head coaching stuff. You know, from a media standpoint, you know, how's Ben going to handle it when we ask him about some guy's pulled hamstring for the eighth time? You know, how is Ben going to handle it when they? blow a game in the fourth quarter that they should have won and they lose you know how is he going to handle it if they if they suffer a big injury or or if a, a guy is not performing up to standards that's you know from the media side i think that's what i'm fascinated to see but overall look ben mcadoo is his own person i i think it's sort of unfair that there's a little bit of a narrative out there that he's like a carbon copy of tom coughlin he's not tom you know i i think that he respects tom coughlin and he learned a lot from him but at the same time Ben McAdoo is his own man. He's not a guy who is – if he doesn't want something or he wants something done, it's going to get done. So I think that's what we're really going to start to see is Ben McAdoo really put his stamp on this team. We saw a little bit of it in, in the offseason program, but you can only do so much when guys are running around in their underwear, as Ben famously said. So that's what I'm looking for is how does he take charge when the true crucible of a season starts to fire up? James, how about the – the part of it, and I think that's that's a good yeah. point. I mean, that's a, he's got a lot to to prove, obviously, in that a- aspect. What about the uh, the responsibilities of offense, defense, and being a head coach? I always wonder that when there's a guy that's a mm-hmm. first time head coach, and obviously most of these guys, if not every one of them, come from one side of the ball or the yeah. other. Ben's an offensive guy. Um, you know, Tom, as the years went on, he was it almost felt to me like he was a CEO. Like you know, he kind of mm-hmm. just put people in place to do their things, and he was the head coach, even though he came from an offensive background way back yeah. uh, in the day. How, how's Ben going to handle that? And, and refresh us on, is he going to call plays or not? Or is he going to have the offense corner call plays? Because that's always an interesting thing yeah. with offensive guys. Okay, so we do not know as of yet who's going to call the plays. Ben is being very uh, coy about that. He, he feels it's a competitive advantage. You know, I, I think what Ben's basic point is that if he comes out and says, I'm calling the plays, or if he comes out and says, you know, hey, Mike Sullivan's going to call the plays. Then the Cowboys and the Saints and all those teams that are going to play the Giants early in the season can go do massive statistical studies on play-calling tendencies and everything. Uh, that's where he thinks their competitive advantage comes in. My rebuttal would be I'm pretty sure the Cowboys are going to have two reports on play-calling tendencies no matter what. Um, he is indicated that he'll reveal that by the time we get to week one. Uh, I don't, I will see. My guess is it'll come out eventually. If I had to venture a guess, I think he'll call the plays because for, for two reasons. One, you know, it's a growing trend in the NFL. You know, there, I believe there's 16 head coaches in the league to have come from offensive backgrounds. And off the top of my head, I think it's 11 
who either have said they're going to call the plays or did call the plays last year in some capacity. So I expect him to do that for that reason. And because, you know, Mike McCarthy is mentor. He called plays in Green Bay. He gave up play calling last season. It was a total disaster. He ended up taking the plays calling duties back by the end of last season. So I don't think Ben, I think Ben would have all the confidence in the world in Mike Sullivan calling the plays, but I just think it's something that he likes to do. It's kind of his, you know, persona as a, as a coach, even though he's the head coach now. So I, I do expect him to call the plays, but until we find out, you never know. Um, as for the CEO stuff, you know, I think Ben will be involved with everything. Well, we saw it you know, in the off-season programs. He was bouncing around from position group to position group. But he doesn't strike me, and maybe you agree with me, Joe, as a, as a coach. I don't think he's like Steve Spurrier, who's going to be like, all right, Marvin Lewis, go, go in the corner and coach the defense. I don't really care what's going to happen. Um, I think he's a guy who will understand defense. I think he'll let Steve Spagnuolo take charge of his defense. But I don't think he's a guy who's only going to coach one side of the team. But I also don't think he's a guy who is going to be completely hands-off on all three sides of the ball, including special teams, and just kind of delegate. So I, I think it's probably going to be a, a happy medium there. Yeah, I would tend to agree, and I think that's probably the best thing. And yeah, I, when you were talking about the competitive advantage and calling plays, and it is becoming a trend, I, I think yeah. of, you know, everyone likes to associate Ben now, with, like you were saying earlier, with Tom. But really, the guy I still associate with him a lot with is Mike McCarthy. In, yeah in Green Bay and, and McCarthy even last year when finally after all these years he said all right I'm going to give up play call now I'm going to focus more on the whole operation you know by the end of the season he took it back because he just felt you know that was the best chance they had um, and it probably was and then I you know maybe Ben's going to kind of fall on that same path so Ben McAdoo's first camp there's so much here all these new faces first year I think he's going to be the guy that you're obviously you know around and watching and we're talking about all the time. Now, James, when we look at the Giants the last few years, and I don't know if Ben McAdoo could wave a magic wand and change this, but it's, yeah. certainly, gonna, it's certainly on his radar now, and he's yes. going to have to answer your questions about this, is health, right? I mean, the Giants, every year it feels like, the last few years, it's like they just have injury after injury after injury, and really that could be for a wide range of, of problems here. But the question I think Giants fans have going into training camp is, can they finally stay healthy this year? Yes. Uh, injuries have been a major issue. I, I don't think I'm surprising anyone when I say that for the Giants. You know, I think there's optimism that obviously Ben hired new strength and conditioning coach Aaron Wellman. They were, inc- for the most part, incredibly healthy during the offseason program. No, I mean, they had two guys go on IR, uh, Ben Edwards, a wide receiver, and a linebacker, Wanyunga. Um, you know, unfortunate for both of those men, but I, those weren't guys they were going to have an uphill battle to make the roster as it is. And they were never guys who were in the grand scheme, you know, expected to be starters. Um, yeah, obviously some guy, you know, JT Thomas, the linebacker missed a lot of time, uh, Cooper Taylor, the safety, but nothing's, you know, nothing threatening their season. Um, I think that they hope that this new strength program and they can change things and they can prevent injuries. But at the same time, you know, people, you know, ripped on Tom Coughlin and the training staff and, and the, the athletic, you know, strength and conditioning staff for all these injuries. But, you know, they tried to move mountains to prevent injuries. They changed up everything. They had, you know, the GPS trackers in, in their uniforms. They they had recovery days. They, they, they did different techniques. So I, I think the Giants probably don't want to admit it, but they're going to need a little bit of luck, too, to stay healthy. 
Of course they will. I, I'm with you. And I, I think a lot of teams, James, that have, you know, good years when it comes to injuries, that it's luck, right? I mean, I remember yeah. a couple of years ago, I think it was Chip Kelly's first year, that offensive line they had did not basically didn't miss a game or didn't miss many snaps at all. That the five that played basically played all year and they won the division. And I think sometimes fans like they don't like to hear that. And and I think it's probably sometimes hard for all of us to grasp, put our head around, but like luck plays a big role. If the Giants don't have in, you know any injuries this year or have very, very few, they're probably going to be a pretty good team. And that's pretty much the NFL every year. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I definitely, you know, look, I'm no, no injury sports, you know, science expert, but I definitely think that you have some players who are built in a way that they just, they tend to be injury prone. I, I know Jeff Schwartz wrote that, you know, players hate that. And I don't think it's necessarily their fault that they're injury prone. I just think that some guys have injuries. Some guys get unlucky. Other guys, you know, will go play nine, 10 years in the league and miss one game. If that, you know, I mean, I mean, Eli Manning has never missed a game in his career. And that guy has gotten lit up on many of occasions in the pocket. Yes. I always thought, James, with Eli, that Eli was almost like the Giants made a deal with the devil in a way. Because everyone, you can't lose your quarterback in the NFL. You have no chance. And the Giants, they've had the ultimate durability at quarterback since 2000, you know, November of 2004. And everything else has been injury prone basically for all the other years. Yeah. No. So, I mean, they got to stay healthy. Now, look, last year, some of the injuries, you know, there was just freak stuff. I mean. Will Beatty tearing his uh, you know muscle in his arm lifting weights, obviously JPP thing no one saw coming. You know Victor Cruz situation you know very unfortunate. You know, but then when you add on the fact that you know John Beeson missed some time coming out of uh, training camp with a knee. You know he he didn't he had injuries all over last year, but the one of the first the first major one was when he sprained his knee in the preseason. You know they lost a bunch of safeties so. You know, look, injuries are going to happen. It's just the unfortunate reality of the NFL. But they gotta hope they do not happen with the same frequency they've had the last three years. Because okay. if that happens again, no, I don't care how good this defense is, how much money they've spent, how good the offense can be, they're in trouble if they have the same wave of injuries again. Yeah, they will be. They'll be. It'll be the same story, just with different names and a different coach, and uh, surrounding the same quarterback. And, and you mentioned some of the ones that have been recurring, and I think that brings us to our, our third point as we kind of look forward here into camp and the, the biggest questions or thoughts we have heading into it. I mean, it's one that it feels like Groundhog Day a little bit. I take yeah. it back to our uh, our pre you know training camp episode last year, James, when we did this, and uh, I'm, I don't remember exactly what the, the conversation was, but I guarantee we had a bullet point on Victor Cruz trying to come back from injury and be a big-time part of the Giants' offense again, and here we are another year later. Not much has changed, although there's, I think, a little bit more optimism maybe this year from Victor yeah. Cruz. What do you think? I mean, we'll talk about Cruz and really the wide receivers in general, which could be a really good group if it's, yes. if it's all out there. Let's start with Cruz. I know you had the post the other day with the video that he put up of uh, showing everyone what what he's what he's doing right now. But yeah. thoughts on Cruz and, and kind of just everything about his career and where it's gone here. Well, I, I definitely think that there's reason for optimism, but it has to be cautious optimism. You know, last year, with, well, and I know Giants fans are tired of all the false starts and the false hopes and the, the setbacks. You know. It, it's never felt like he was exactly 100% right last year. And it was it, it was kind of, you know, if I remember correctly, 
he, he went on Mike Francesa's show when Mike was uh, visiting the Giants, like on a Monday or a Tuesday, and said, hey, I'm going to play on Saturday in the preseason game against the, uh, the Jaguars. And then I, I think he suffered the calf injury like two hours later in practice. And obviously, that was the end of it with the, with the, the issue when he tried to get ready for the Buffalo game, and, and he, it just gave out again. Haven't had that situation because the Giants have been smart with Cruz. They've really kind of had him slow and, you know, very slow, methodical. Um, you know, the only thing he did that I've seen as a, part of the team portion of this offseason was he was involved in like a couple of run-oriented, you know, half-speed jog-through drills during minicamp. Um, look, the videos he puts out on social media, they look good. He, he looks good. He's running. He's cutting. That's a good thing. I think the Giants, the first part of the Giants have to do is they've got to get him onto the field in the preseason game. And once they can do that, I think that you can start to talk about, okay, what type of player is Victor Cruz? Can he still play? Because, I mean, look, it's it's the truth. They don't even know, even if the guy is 100% healthy, is he still an effective player? I don't know. I mean, that, that's a fair question. We're talking about a guy who relies so much on cutting and quickness, and we're talking about these these leg injuries for years now. I, I don't even know what the Giants can expect from him, James. And when I think about it, I mean, like, obviously we all in our heads have best-case scenario, worst-case scenario. But I think the thing that probably has everyone kind of intrigued and really particularly interested in Cruz this time isn't that the Giants are relying on him as much as they were no. years ago, but the opposite, that – they're not really anymore because of Beckham's emergence, because they drafted Sterling Shepard in the second round. But, James, when I look at this wide receiving core, I think to myself, if somehow Cruz returns to a, a, a pretty good level, this receiving core has the potential to be tremendous. See, to me, like every people ask about, you know, how is this receiving core going to play out? Because, you know, fans, you know, they get excited about undrafted guys like, you know, Darius Poe and Roger Lewis and obviously Sterling Shepard. To me, the you can't really – begin to venture a guess on how the receiving core is going to shape up until you know what is Cruz's situation. You're absolutely right, Joe. I think if Victor Cruz is 85% or 80, even 80% of what he was, then the Giants, it's it's awesome for the Giants. See, I look at Cruz's gravy, but I think with the Giants, the, the hard decision they're going to have to make is if Cruz is 70% of what he was, is 70% good enough to keep him on the roster and to not go with one of those younger, promising, undrafted players? Yeah, that's a tough question, right? Because- and that's, that's way down the road. I think that you know, people ask about, you know, is, could Cruz get cut? Is Cruz going to be here in 2017? What I say is, look, the guy has to get on the field, make it through two weeks of, two, one, two weeks of training camp, and then play in a preseason game. And then from there, you can kind of assess the situation. So, but you also have to realize that, you know, he hasn't played in almost two years. He's coming off a rare calf injury and, and a knee injury that has, you know, severely hampered a lot of guys' careers. So, you know, you, you, there has to be, there can be optimism, but cautious optimism. And, and people have to be realistic that, you know, this might not have this storybook ending that I think a lot of people are hoping for. No, it certainly might not, and I think that's probably why the Giants protected themselves and started to move forward by taking Sterling yeah. Shepard in the second round. And, you know, I, I'll be interested to see just how our, our conversation evolves over the next couple of weeks. Like, I, I'm just thinking forward a month from now as we're 
what would that be right after the first preseason game or right on the second preseason game, something like yeah. that. Um, you know, are we talking more about Cruz and his issues or maybe his, you know, he looks good again, or are, are you, and are we talking this in this episode in this show about Sterling Shepard and like what Beckham and Shepard could become among yes. the young duos in the NFL? I think Shepard, people are really interested in what that, it seems like even though he was the second round pick and Eli Apple was the first one, yeah. Shepard's the one, when I talk to Giants fans, they're the one, he's the one they want to talk about. You know, we've only been around him for, for so long, but he, he looks like a, he's going to be a star. And I think that that's what's got people, you know, he, he seems that this, how he has that look like, okay, this guy is going to be a player. Yeah. I, I think the Giants are in a very good position because they've got Beckham, they've got Shepard. They know that Dwayne Harris is a pretty reliable third receiver, and whatever Victor Cruz can give him is gravy. And I think that last year they were kind of relying on Victor Cruz. This year, not so much. It's just whatever we get from him is a bonus. And if he makes it back to a high level, then it's even bigger for us. Yeah, it would be. And it would give them a lot of weapons, and Eli would have uh, plenty of places to go with the football. And, you know, when you're talking about the Giants' offense, James, we talk about these Mm -hmm. receivers, we talk about Eli – the kind of points they could put up. We we think we talked last time about how Eli Manning had mentioned that the Giants, you know, could be a team that puts up, you know, four touchdowns a game, averages 28 points, which is a big number. And if they're going to do that, I think anyone who watches this team would say, well, the offensive line is going to have to play pretty well to give Eli time and, and to make everything stand up. So let's get into that part. Our fourth of our five here in, in these training camp questions and thoughts as we move forward. The offensive line, it's always a question of the Giants. It hasn't been... I wouldn't say it was bad last year, but mm-hmm. it, it wasn't very good. And right before we did this podcast, right before we started recording, uh, the news came down about Eugene Monroe, who yes. uh, there was some thoughts some interest. We talked about in recent podcasts, uh, the former Raven, New Jersey kid, uh, he's going to retire. So his career is over. So that option uh, probably off the board unless he would change his mind or anything. But the offensive line, forgetting you know what they could still maybe do in free agency or trade or anything like that. Do you think it's good enough as we head into camp? Uh, it's a tough question. I mean, I think your hesitation might say it all right there. Look, I, I think that it's a lot. I when, when I when you look at this Giants roster, I don't think offensive line is the biggest issue they have. Uh, I don't think it's even one of the top three issues they potentially have. But at the same time, you know, they didn't run the ball all that well last year. I mean, look, I think the Giants they have. Three players, you know, Flowers, Pew, and Richburg, who could potentially be, you know, building blocks of the future. They have a right guard in John Jerry, who I think is serviceable, and they have a right tackle in Marshall Newhouse, who I don't look. He's not in a in a best case scenario, ideal world, he's not the starting right tackle. He's a swing tackle, but at the same time, I don't think that he's as bad as people make him out to be, and I think that they can get along. But at the same time, last year that line was not really able to get those key short yards and to get those key run-out-the-clock moments. So I, I think it's, it's good enough. I don't think it's a situation where Eli Manning is going to be running for his life. The way that the short passing game, the way he gets rid of the ball helps it. But at the same time, I also think it's an offensive line that could provide some complications down the road for the Giants. So I think it's something that I understand why they're comfortable with it, but at the same time, I think they have to be realistic that it might be somewhat of an issue at some point. 
Yeah, and James, you mentioned the short passing in there. And I think if this was, you know, if you're going to be optimistic about the Giants' offensive line and what they're going to be and how decent they could be, that's probably what you keep coming back to. It's almost like you, you, you're, it's a caveat. Like, well, if this was the offense of two or three years ago when there was more of a downfield passing offense and Eli took deeper drops, the Kevin Gilbride offense, then mm-hmm. I think there'd be real worry because I'm not sure they could stand up to the big pass rushers in the NFL. But this offense – the way they run it now, it does feel like you can kind of get away with more of an okay offensive line, right? I definitely agree with that. I think that, you know, as long as they can keep Eli relatively upright and get rid of the ball quick, they're going to be fine. It's just that when it comes down to those, you know, run the ball situations, those, you know, chew up the clock situations, that's something that they did not perform well with last season. And I think it's a very real concern of how is that going to change uh, this season. And look, you know, Monroe's off the board. You know, the, the Giants made efforts to upgrade right tackle spot. And, and I think people who are saying, well, why don't they just move Eric Flowers to right tackle? I mean, that's a little short-sighted. You know, you drafted Eric Flowers to be the left tackle of the future. He struggled as a rookie on the left side. I mean, everyone knew that was going to happen. You don't just throw up your hands and give up on your whole – 10-year plan just because Eric Flowers played poorly on a bad ankle for 14 games last year. So I think they're right to say Flowers is staying a left tackle. We want to continue to build upon him. He obviously has to have a big, he has to make big steps. And if he doesn't, then maybe the Giants have to sit down and reassess the situation after this season say, maybe we have to think about him not being the answer on the left side. But you got to give Flowers a second year. And, you know, you, you I don't think the Giants, they don't seem to be – worried about Newhouse to the point that they're willing to force something to bring in a right tackle. So I expect them to keep looking, but with Monroe retired and, you know, the, the picking's not, you know, so big out there on the waiver wire and in trade possibilities, I think Marshall Newhouse is looking more and more likely to be that starter in week one. Yeah, he probably is, which I don't think is going to inspire much confidence. And I agree with you with Flowers. Like, it's always like we, we like to make these excuses for some players, and then we don't want to use the same ones for others. Uh, just to make the example, like in Philadelphia, Nelson Aguilar had a high ankle sprain yeah. last year, right? And that, that's kind of used as, all right, let's give him a second chance to show he was a first-round pick wide receiver he could mm-hmm. play. Like, Eric Flowers is an offensive tackle trying to you know defend and block yeah. speed rusher ends. And if you have a high ankle sprain, like, that's, that's a big deal. I think that center Weston Richburg was banged up just as much as Flowers. You know, I, I think that the Flowers' ankle injury maybe got a little bit overplayed just because okay. he's a rookie, you know, mm-hmm. and, and everything. And I'm not, I'm not saying that what it wasn't a, a significant injury. I just think that, you know, guys. I mean, it's the NFL. Guys have injuries like that all the time. You know, I think that's why Eric Flowers is kind of treated so nonchalantly because it wasn't maybe, you know, it, was, it wasn't something that he thought was hindering his ability. But I do think that, you know, he struggled last year, but that was to be expected, even if he was 100% healthy. And I just think that it's a little bit silly for people to, to be screaming that Jerry Reese should just move him to right tackle, you know, because, you know, why should the Giants give up on something that quick? You know, look, people might be right. It's entirely possible that Eric Flowers will prove to be better suited as a right tackle long term. But the Giants can't make that decision off of 14 games as a rookie when he was injured for much of it. You know, they've got to see more for him. So that's why he's staying at left tackle. And that's why the Giants are not going to go out there. And, and, you know, if a veteran says he wants to play left tackle and and that's non-negotiable, then that's not going to fit the Giants. No, it wouldn't. Right. And that's, that's, you know, that's certainly the way that this is part of the the roster construction. You take a guy with a top 10 pick, you want to give him a chance to be 
what you thought it could be. So the Giants, we talked a lot about the offense here, James, and I think as as soon as you get to camp, the offense is going to be something that is interesting and intriguing because of how good they could be, but the mm-hmm. defense probably, and we'll kind of circle back to what we think probably is the biggest thing going in. The yeah. defense, all the moves they made, all the money they spent, and really, I think that the biggest question for me, James, with the Giants, even if they have an offensive line that is okay, not great, even if Cruz isn't anything and they their offense is just good, which I think it will probably just be good at you know, just rolling out of bed because they have a lot of talent there. The defense, how high can they jump? And can these players, I mean, they brought in so many guys. How quickly could it come together? Do you, or first, let's go with two things. One, when it's all said and done, you kind of get ready to go look at what they have to put on the field defensively. Do you like what they have? And then two, do you think it could come together to actually be a good unit, which I think are two separate things? Yeah, I think you have to like what they put together. You know, I, I was talking to someone else earlier this summer, and I said, last year the Giants were putting out starters on defense that were just not NFL-caliber starting defensive players. They really weren't. They, you're right. And, I mean, they, they were like, well, I remember being at games with you and sitting there, and like there were three or four guys on the yeah. field at a time during big drives where they didn't belong on the field. Exactly. And a lot of those guys don't have jobs anymore in the NFL. But this year, when they put out their starting 11, I think they're going to put out 11 competent NFL starting players. But once you get past that first 11, I think there are still significant concerns about the depth of this defense. So to me, I think going back to health, that's going to be big into how high this, how far this defense can move up in the rankings and improve. I think that's going to be big. Can these, you know, 11 starters stay on the field and can the guys behind them produce at the level the Giants need them to? And at some of the positions, I think that remains to be seen. Yeah, that's a good point. And I agree with you on the depth. So when I, when I t- think about teams, James, that have depth issues, my, I always go back to if you're going to have depth issues, you can't really avoid that. But to yeah. make up for it, you need your stars to really produce. So if you do have a deficiency somewhere, at least you know, they're making plays. So, when I, so I guess if they're going to have depth issues, to me, they're going to have to get their money's worth for Vernon, their money's worth. I know it's only a one-year deal for JPP, but mm-hmm. you know, have him be more of himself. Their money's worth from Harrison uh, and obviously Janoris Jenkins too. So, to, like, do you, when when you think about the guys they brought in, they yes. obviously brought in talented guys. They're better than last year, but do you think those guys will give them star efforts? I mean, because to me, if, if they're going to be a good defense, they need Olivier Vernon to not just be a good player. They need yes. him to be a really good player. I think if I had to venture a guess, I think that. Uh, Vernon and Damon Harrison are the two guys who I think might have the most visible impact um, on this defense. You know, Janoris Jenkins is, is a good player, but at the end of the day, I didn't think that he's not a major upgrade, in my opinion, from Prince of Mukamara. Obviously, he, he's proven to stay on the field and be healthy. That was something Prince couldn't do. But when Prince was on the field and healthy, he was a pretty good player. Um, I don't think the Giants have made a major upgrade going from Prince to Jenkins at cornerback. I think that Damon Harrison from Marcus Kuhn and Olivier Vernon from, you know, what the Giants had. I mean, I thought Robert Harris had a really good season, but with JPP's limitations and, and, and Colin Jenkins on the end and Kerry Wood, I, I think those are the two guys where they've made the biggest jump, in my opinion. 
the two, for the big name free agent signings, you know, getting Vernon, getting Snacks. Those are the two guys who I think might have the most visible impact on this defense. But you know, you mentioned JPP. I think he is a crucial part of this equation because you know people want to be optimistic. The club is off. He's got a year under his belt. He's trained. He knows how to use his hand now. He's adjusted. But we don't really know what type of player Jason Pierre-Paul is anymore. You know, it's entirely possible that what we saw last year in his abbreviated half season, that could basically be the type of player he is now. And I don't know if that player, that type of player, is enough to raise the Giants' pass rush in concert with Vernon to the level that they think it could go. Yeah, it's a good point with JPP. I, I almost feel that we're, you know, when we talk about JPP and if there's optimism for him, it's almost like, we're spoiled now, I think, as sports fans, because for the most part, when guys have injuries, they're, they're fixable, right? They get yeah. fixed. They come back. Um, you know, if it's a knee or a shoulder or an elbow, if we're talking about a baseball pitch or whatever. But, like, this is uncharted waters. I mean, he could mm-hmm. rehab. He could have another surgery like he did, and, and maybe he's more comfortable. But, like, and not, not, not to be glib. I'm not me and making a joke here. But, like, his, that, his original hand is never coming back. Never, yeah. never can be the guy physically that he once was because that's just not possible it's just a matter of how good can he be with what he has to work with I thought last year he was a he was a above average NFL player but people are hopeful that he can be a pro bowl caliber player again this year but until he shows that you know I think you have to just like we said with Cruz cautious optimism this could turn out really well or the JPP that we saw last year who had one sack and struggled to wrap up, and, and you know, a lot of times it seemed like with, with JPP last year, and I'm sure you noticed this, you know, the ball would be snapped, and if he couldn't beat the tackle with his first move, mm-hmm. he was washed out of the play. Yep. So, you know, if he ends up being that player again, then I think that also is something that people have to take into account, that you know, that could hinder the Giants' ability to make major strides because – Oh, Odigazua is going to be the third defensive end. Everyone's high on him. He's got a lot of promise, but he basically he's basically a rookie again. So the Giants' pass rush on paper looks like it's going to be really good, and this defensive line of JPP, Vernon, Snacks, Jonathan Hankins looks great. But if JPP isn't doesn't make a huge leap, and Oa still has some growing pains, being a second year in the league, Hankins and Snacks really aren't pass rushers; they're more run stoppers. You kind of look around and you can say, there's a chance that this Giants pass rush might not be all that much better than it was a year ago. And that would be a problem. Let's, yes. That would be a big problem for Giants for the Giants. James, let's, let's end with this on mm-hmm. our preview episode of Training Camp. So we're talking about this defense, all these new players. Talent is obviously there. Uh, we'll see how they all live up to their contracts or names or their past. But what about the idea of them gelling? And, and how important do you think that is? You know, kind of the, the chemistry thing or gelling? I mean, we've seen teams in recent years and recent past mm-hmm. that have imported a whole bunch of players. I mean, the Eagles have done it a couple times and it just flopped. Uh, the Redskins, maybe not so much this new uh, GM they have there, but in the recent past, they yeah. do stuff like this and it doesn't seem to work. And f- I think football is a unique game where you kind of all have to be on the same page, but you have to have individual talent as well. Should we make too much of that? Is that a, a wait and see thing? Do you think the players here will complement each other? I mean, what do you think about, the idea of them gelling. Let's say they're all healthy and, and ready, ready to go week one. How much time do you think it will take them and Steve Spagnuolo to get this group playing well together on the same page? You know, I think 
maybe it's not so much like the players getting used to each other as much as as it is the players all kind of getting a, a firm grasp on, on the defensive scheme. And then that, in turn, will allow them to kind of play faster and quicker and more loose. I mean, I, I think chemistry is definitely, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a concern. It's a real thing. But I don't think it's necessarily the be-all, end-all. I mean, you're right. There have been teams that have had bad, great chemistry and weren't very good. There have been teams that have had bad chemistry and they won Super Bowls. Um, I definitely think it's something to watch. They've got to learn a defense. They have to gel as a group. You know, there are a lot of new parts. And I think one thing that's going for them is everybody was basically at all the mini camps, all the OTAs. There seemed to be a lot of positive energy around the defense. So I think they've got that working for them. But I definitely think there's a little bit of a learning curve, but it's nothing too substantial. And I think it's something that they'll probably have locked down by that third preseason game, which is kind of the, the measuring. That's kind of when it's most real in the summer. Oh, we says Giants-Jets, right, as always? Giants-Jets, as always. Only one real road preseason game for the Giants this year, and it's Buffalo, so they're, they're not even really going that far. Right, so you get to go to Buffalo, and it's not, you'll get to go to Buffalo in the summer, which isn't that bad. It's not like Buffalo in the winter. No, no, Buffalo, Buffalo in the summer, not too bad. So we have only one week, trip. Only one trip. So we have a week before training camp uh, officially gets underway, doing this podcast yes. on a Thursday. This is going to be fun. James, next time we're back together, we will have – uh, our new member of our crew who will be with yes. you on the beat this year. So we'll be back together soon. We'll obviously be talking about the beginning of training camp, some of the new questions, but new coach, a lot of new players, some pretty high expectations from fans in, a, in what I think is a wide open division. It should be a fun year. I know you're raring to go, so we'll be back next week. James, as always, man, thanks. Thank you, Joe. It's it's here. Get some sleep. We, this is about to be go time. About to be a dead sprint from a week from today, Thursday, the, July 28th to january february who knows we'll see look at that you're raising the, you're getting all the people all excited there february <laughs> i don't know actually not late january I, I don't think february is in the cards but you never know if we're doing a giants podcast with a game to talk about in late january or early february i think everyone listening to this podcast right now is going to be very happy so uh maybe i don't, we'll have I don't think it's going to happen but we'll see <laughs> we will it'll be a fun year either way james appreciate it i appreciate all of you listening to this episode of our New York Giants podcast, Talk is Cheap, back next week. We'll have a new Giants guy on the beat uh, and a lot to talk about as the Giants open up 2016 training camp with Ben McAdoo as the head coach. Thanks for listening. <laughs>